Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Zaltzberg. I'm here today with Lori McRobbie, our co-host, and we're talking about uh, business and the economy with several IU faculty members um, who have been involved with the Business Outlook panel. So we are talking with four guests today. We have Andrew Butters, who's assistant professor in the Business Economics and Public Policy Department at the Kelly School of Business at IU. Carol Rogers, who's co-director and uh, chief information officer of the Indiana Business Research Center. Also, Dr. Kyle Anderson, Clinical Assistant Professor of Business Economics and Faculty Chair, Evening MBA Program at the Kelly School of Business, and Phil Powell, Clinical Associate Professor of Business Economics and Public Policy at the Kelly School of Business, and Associate Dean of Academic Programs in Indianapolis, and the Daniel C. Smith Faculty Fellow. If you have questions or comments, you can give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 877-285-9348. You can also send us questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Twitter for a while anyway after Elon <laughs> Musk. I don't, I'm not sure how long we'll be there. So I, I want to start the conversation today with, with Phil Powell. Phil, I've gone to my share of, of Business Outlook panels over the years, uh, I didn't hear your presentations this year, but if you could just give give our audience um, a little bit of a primer on what the Business Outlook panel is and how long it's been going on. Absolutely. Um, you know, around this time of year, businesses and, and policymakers and organizations are thinking about their strategic plan for the next year and their budgets. And it's a perfect opportunity for the Indiana Business Research Center, which all of us work with, um, to, to, to deliver some data to, to uh, provide better decision making. Um, the Indiana Business Research Centers in the Kelly School of Business were actually the, one of the oldest research centers in the university. Uh, we were 97 years old. Herman Wells was our first director. So we take this exercise of providing a, a, a vision or a sense of what the year was going to bring very seriously. Um, we've just finished our, our going around the state with our business outlook panels. We went to nine different destinations our kickoff was in bloomington um and we've we've talked we've had over a thousand people at our different venues and again our goal is to provide uh a sense of uh what to expect at the national level in financial markets at the state level and at the local level and we've been doing this for a long long time and then at the at the middle of december we'll publish our winter uh, edition of the indiana business review where we'll put all of our forecasts in on quote electronic paper and then it can be used for folks uh, forecasting but important it, this is an important way for the kelly school to give back to the state of indiana and uh, we're really privileged to be here to share our insights uh on, on radio i'm really glad to have you here we've we've been doing the show for more than 20 years i don't think we've ever done a specific business outlook panel show so i'm really excited to have you all here um andrew i Lori asked this question before the show, and I'm, I'm, so I need to give her credit, but you guys aren't just, you know, making guesses about this. There are lots of economic models that you're using. How do, how do those models play into it, and how, how have they changed over the years? Yeah, no, that's uh, that's a great question, probably the million-dollar one at this point. So, uh, you know, the IBRC has really the benefit and the luxury of having, you know, one of the real sort of 
really experts in this. So Bill Witte is one that um, who, you know in the uh, economics department who's really put together a wonderful uh, model and and has really done quite well. In fact, actually, I want to give a small plug. Um, you know, the forecast that we came out uh, and this, and did last year. Uh, ended up really outperforming a lot of sort of other economic forecasts, and this was during a tumultuous time where basically your uh, your phrase of you know throwing a dart at the wall probably wasn't uh, too far off from what some people were in in effort doing uh, last year. And 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 I and I would acknowledge too that you know this year actually while you know maybe being a little less uncertain than. Uh, the path of the depths of the pandemic recession and the recovery, you know, we're still in very, very uncertain times right now. And so, you know, while the models um, and and they're growing with uh, the inputs of you know these novel data sets that um, are coming more and more online, uh, you know, there's still quite a bit of uncertainty right now in terms of what the economic outlook um, is going to play out in ter- terms of the future. So we've got you know issues, issues with regard to monetary policy, and then you know how the households and consumers are going to respond to all these different changes that are um, unfolding. And so it's it's still a very exciting but but difficult time uh, to be an economic forecaster right now. Uh, let's get into a little bit of the data. Uh, Kyle Anderson, Kyle's been here with us before. Uh, I want to ask you about. I know you said you did the the financial portion of this, so let's just. And consumers are really always interested in what's going to happen with the financial markets. So you know, what do you what are you seeing for next year? So it, it's really been a rough year this year. We, we know, and, and that really comes down to rising interest rates. Rising interest rates are really bad for financial markets. And so we've been down, the S&P 500 is down 15% this year. Um, but looking forward, those numbers are really hard to predict. And one of the things that I did with following up off of kind of a, a weak year in the stock market is assuming we'll finish out that way is went back and looked at different times that we've had bad years and, and very often the next year tends to have a, a, a fairly strong recovery in the the stock market so it, it's one of those things where yes it's been a bad year but markets are forward-looking they're anticipating a weak economy in 2023 and if we get some positive news going forward, I think some of those markets are going to bounce back up. All right. And Carol, I want to bring you on quickly, too, because, you know, as the co-director of the Indiana Business Research Center, um, Phil mentioned that you're going to have a report coming out. It's a, it's a free report. Can you tell us about how people can get that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the Indiana Business Review is uh, – a publication that we've been putting out quarterly since 1926. It has always been free to all Hoosiers. And uh, I think some people remember the days when uh, there were print publications. Does anybody here remember that? I do. Uh, (laughs) It's a little sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, and so we were publishing in print until about, I think, the year... Uh, 2005 and it did get very expensive and we went on the web but it is same excellent content uh, excellent authors not just from the Kelly School or Indiana University but people all around the state and the outlook issue is always the favorite we get tens of thousands of uh, readers viewers of it over the internet and we cover All of these facets that we're talking about here today from international, national, finance, housing, uh, state of Indiana, and then metropolitan areas throughout the state. Carol, I should say I I have uh, neglected to say that you're also the governor's census liaison, so I wanted to make make sure and mention that. And you did the local Bloomington report this year, right? Yes, okay. uh, the Bloomington Outlook article. Okay, and we'll so get we have, yeah yeah we'll get more more into that uh, as we go forward. More. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to, um, to go back to Kyle for a second. Gabby, um, we've seen the, what's gone on with the stock market, but the, the stock market isn't the only part of the financial picture for investors. Um, are there other elements of you know what's been going on in terms of investments? I mean. You know, treasury bonds and and so forth that have actually responded well uh, to the to the current current state of things. Actually, this year's been a little bit peculiar, and there really hasn't been a great safe haven. 
bonds, mm-hmm. you know, bonds vary a lot depending upon the maturity, how long they last and whether they're corporate or how stable they are. But broad bond measures have been down as well. And it goes back to those rising interest rates that have gone up. The federal funds rate was essentially zero at the beginning of this year or, or quite low. And, and we've just seen big increases that really have made all investments be not very good. So it, it is a good practice to have a nice diversified portfolio, but it hasn't helped very much this year. Hmm. Yeah. I, um, I want to uh, sort of go back to maybe a, a kind of fundamental question, and I'll, I'll direct it to Phil first, but you probably can all speak to it, which is just the effects of inflation. Uh, and and all the ways in which those manifest throughout the economy, and and particularly Carol, when we get to you, we want to talk about how it's affecting things here in Indiana. But but Phil, maybe you can you can speak to just where we are with inflation, and you know what what we can look forward to in 2023, as far as you can tell. Sure, you know I, I think it's important that the listeners understand you know this sort of what the Fed is doing is more psychological than it is sort of it, it's it's about the mindset. So. The, the real, the real uh, toxicity is not inflation itself, but it's inflationary expectations. And so if financial markets uh, lose confidence in the Federal Reserve's ability to control inflation in all of their forward contracts that impact the future, they're going to write in higher interest rates. They're going to write in higher prices. So the most important thing that Federal Reserve Chairman Powell is doing is is, is a signaling, right? And the good news is, is that there's a sense that uh, he woke up in a way in the in summer and started raising rates and sort of taking pages out of the 1979 playbook that Paul Volcker did. And you know, the only way to to to, to cure inflation is to is to reduce demand. And um, in some ways, you sort of have to put the, the economy in in a, in a slight coma to 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 erase not only inflation but those inflationary expectations. So the good news is, is that we've seen responsiveness, you know, starting a, a few weeks ago, we started to see the inflation numbers coming in a, a better than projected. And so uh, the sense is, is that the Federal Reserve will continue to raise rates, perhaps through the first part of the quarter. But we're already seeing signals from the Federal Reserve that perhaps they're not, they, they don't have to be as uh, uh, aggressive as perhaps they thought they thought even a month ago. So I think as we enter the year, um, the news is good. And in fact, if you look at month-to-month changes in the CPI, there's actually been a couple of month-to-month changes that were negative. So we are starting on a month-to-month basis, we're starting to see the impact. When you see an inflation figure of 7 or 8%, that's actually year over year. And so the month-to-month gives us a, a real sense of the immediate impact of Fed policy. So I think going forward, the news is good, but we're going to have to go through, at best, a year of slow growth to 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 rein in inflation and bring it down below an acceptable range, which economists consider to be two, between two and four percent. That's CPI's consumer price index. Yeah. I need to right. yeah. correct. Make sure. Sorry. Right. No problem. And, no problem. And and the better that you're referring to is that it, inflation is still going up, but not as fast. Is exactly. that yep. yeah yep. yeah? No, that's but, it. So prices are still going up, but bit. yeah, it, it, prices are still going so, up, but inflation is decelerating. So the rate of inflation it. is going down. Yeah. yeah. I, I wanted to follow up, if I could, about the, the Fed raising the interest rates. And I'll, I'll turn it to Andrew first. But in your forecast highlights, you actually use the word the Federal Reserve belatedly began to raise the interest rates. So, how, Andrew, you, you have experience with the, yeah, the yeah. Fed. No, so. so, you know, I think I think I, I won't put any words in anyone's mouth, but I think, you know, uh, Chairman Powell and, and many of the um, the regional uh, presidents have acknowledged that you know they were a little bit slow, a little late to the game when it came to uh, kind of understanding and appreciating uh, the stickiness and the persistence that this uh, that these levels of inflation were going to um, uh, going to transcend into into twenty twenty two. And so, uh, certainly, again, they were probably a little bit late to the party. But I think uh, as Kyle and Phil have mentioned already, you know, these increases that we've experienced this year are, are really unprecedented. They've been um, bucking up uh, at each FOMC meeting. So that's the meeting that you know all the regional banks and and, and board uh, come together to assess monetary policy and then decide on the you know target federal funds rate. They've been they've been increasing it at a very very steady rate, and and then even giving markets and giving you know uh, 
economy participants, a lot of forward guidance that they're going to continue to go up. You know, basically at every meeting they were pretty straightforward in saying that you know you can expect to put in another increase at the, at our next meeting, and it's really only been as as Phil um, and Kyle have have mentioned uh, only just recently that that Chairman Powell in particular has has sort of stepped back on that, and or at least acknowledged that there might be now room to bring into the debate uh, a conversation of slowing down. You know, I, m- me personally, I, I'm still very much expecting for the. Um, for the half percent that I think the market and everyone is expecting to uh, have come in this December meeting, which would which would close out the year as far as monetary policy goes, um, and then you know what the first quarter looks like, you know I think there's a little bit more uncertainty and a debate, and, but I I think we're nearing the point at which uh, monetary policy is probably going to steady state, and then you know we'll see where we're at and kind of how its impacts are continuing to uh, to transmit through the economy. Yeah, and that that was my follow-up on this, is that if the Fed raises the interest rate another half percentage point, what's that mean for consumer interest rates? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. So, you know, I think primarily the way uh, you know economists typically like to think about how um, the Fed funds rate is going to permeate through the economy is is through the borrowing costs that households and businesses um, are traditionally going to have to face when it comes to either you know financing payroll or if you're again uh, taking out a mortgage to buy a house or you know making car payments, what the, what those um, borrowing costs are going to look like. And so I think you know one sector in particular that we've already seen a pretty dramatic impact on what the monetary policy has been in the last um, you know six to ten months is is housing so we've seen um, both mortgage rates and I'm you know I'm sure Kyle will, will mention he, he had a wonderful uh, sort of calculation on this in terms of um, what just a typical um, purchase of a home would look like. I mean, the cost of that now, the same home at $300,000 is just going to cost you a lot more in terms of the monthly payment. So, you've got that, and you've also got, you know, businesses now, particularly businesses um, that are going to be, you know, interest rate sensitive um, are going to be ones in which are going to have, you know, a slightly elevated um you know, set a cost now uh, as a consequence of, of the Fed's um, actions. And again, all of this is very much a coordinated effort to sort of bring demand back into supply. And so I, I you know, don't want to give the impression that, you know, the Fed is some sort of monster out there that's trying to cause all of this, all of this pain. Um, it, it is very much um, making an effort to, uh, as, as Phil mentioned, be committed um, to solving this inflation problem, which again is hurting all of us. I mean, it's hurting everyone when it comes to going to the grocery store or filling up mm-hmm. their um, car uh, with gas. So, yeah. And Carol, what what how is Indiana's experience of these forces really any different than you're seeing on the national level? Or are there particular things about Indiana's economy that inflation has been particularly difficult to deal with? Uh, you know, certainly we're we're all experiencing this at at somewhat different levels across the country but i do appreciate your your question about you know is indiana experiencing it in some different ways uh and it makes me wish that the fed had analog uh brake system (laughs) uh on backing off of inflation instead of just continually tapping and seeing what happens no offense, Andrew. Um, <laughs> but what I like to keep in mind is that out of the uh, close to 200,000 businesses that we have in Indiana, uh, a fair proportion of those are in manufacturing, uh, they're in real estate, rental and leasing, they're in transportation and warehousing. Uh, manufacturing in particular, uh, punches way above its weight. Uh, we have about 10,000 manufacturing businesses uh, here in Indiana, uh, but its share of our economy is almost a third. So if our gross domestic product for Indiana is around $350 billion, uh, manufacturing is almost $100 billion of that. So right there you can see with that kind of scale that the interest rates are going to have an effect. We pay close attention to something called the producer price index. So that's the cost to producer. That that's your your goods cost. You know what? It, I need rubber. I need plastics. I need paint. Uh, what what is that price index? 
And it was uh, with a bit of happiness that I saw that it didn't go up as much <laughs> uh, between the last two months as it had been. So it was less, you know, it was like uh, three-tenths of a percent. And that is heartening. I think, Andrew, you would probably agree with that, or Kyle or Phil. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Uh, and so that's going to help our manufacturers. There's still a lot of talk about recession, though, and we're beginning to see some employers in Indiana uh, either not hiring or not posting jobs uh, at the same intensity, or we're seeing some businesses starting to lay people off. Some of that's in the tech sector, but obviously you heard the news about Catalan, mm -hmm. and they're going to be laying off about 400 people. They're not laying them off, I don't think, because of uh, price increases and, and pressure because of interest rates. You know, it's more expensive to borrow money. I think a large part of that has to do with the slowdown in vaccine, uh, the need for vaccines. Yeah, I wanted to to ask about that because in your again in your highlights you talk about the pharmaceutical manufacturing has been growing and resilient during the 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 tumultuous times that we've been going through and could offset some of these losses but then we have Catalan laying off 400 people. So how do those square? Yeah, so I, I mean, I can jump in on this. So the, okay. the, the so I mean, the Catalan news uh, so that came out uh, earlier this week. I think that should be um, you know juxtapositioned relative to uh, the employment growth that it had <clears throat> during the entire stretch of of the pandemic uh, recession. So as a consequence of being really a kind of an important player when it came to the distribution and and uh, you know and the vaccine supporting the vaccine. Um, getting distributed across the country, it actually had hired 1,200 uh, kind of leading into and during that uh, very tumultuous time. And so I think, you know, considering the fact that on net, you know, it's still very much a, a, an employer that in terms of the local Bloomington um, area is still very much a sort of a net positive if you want to take a slightly longer view on it. Um, but but again, this is was a very untraditional uh, business cycle. This was, uh, you know, a public health crisis that really permeated and, and, and induced, um, you know, a contraction and then a, a very sharp recovery um, in economic activity. And so there are lots of things that are actually very different about this recession than I think uh, both, you know, what you know, many might have remembered it about the Great Recession as well as then recessions um, prior to that. And so, and, and, and pharmaceutical and, and the healthcare service industry. And then, you know, you go uh, further down the road in terms of thinking about how just like nursing homes and other sort of then peripheral um, healthcare industries have, have, have been um, affected uh, by this this recession is, is really pretty unique. Is uh, this a recession? Yeah. <laughs> I have to ask. <laughs> so I, so I, I can, I'll be on record. We're not in a recession right now, although, again, for many businesses and, and households, it's certainly a very difficult time right now. I, I, I think it's going to be a very uh, telltale sign how resilient uh, consumers are um, over these next um, couple quarters. Uh, you know, the quarter three growth rate um, was above trend. Now, get that was 2.9%. Um, that was coming off of some strong um, exports, so you know it's unlikely that that will be um, too sticky into quarters going forward. But again, consumers have proven to be pretty resilient, and and to the extent that they are, um, you know, there, there's still some hope that we might be able to avoid an all-out uh, contraction. Let me give our contact information for our listeners. We're talking about the economy with uh, four people who were. Uh, are involved with the Business Outlook panel in the state of Indiana and involved with the Indiana Business Research Center. If you have questions or comments, you can call us at 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 877-285-9348. You can also send us questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Before I turn it over to Lori, um, Kyle, you've been listening very patiently. You've heard a lot of your colleagues say a lot of things. I'm just going to give you the opportunity to either <laughs> talk about, um, you know, the interest rate um, issue that Andrew brought up or any other topic that you want to respond to what they said. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And just a, a couple of thoughts, because a lot of questions we've been getting about are not only what's the forecast, but kind of what can be done. And so, you know, Phil mentioned that the, the only way to kind of tamp down inflation is to, to reduce demand. But there is a bit of another side to that, which is the ability to increase supply. 
And that's really, I, I think, what's driving a lot of this is these persistent labor shortages that, that we thought might go away sooner. And, and really thinking about it, if we're thinking from a policymaker perspective, one of the things we'd really like to do is get more people in the workforce. That could be through enhanced immigration. One thing that we've really suffered from in the last few years is declining numbers of, of legal immigration and green cards. And, and we know here in Indiana that a lot of our great businesses rely on folks who, who may not have been born here in the US and, and are working on a, a green card, but you know contribute a lot to our economy and, and help keep our, our companies rolling and, and our jobs open here. So th there are some things that there is some hope that that we can have some supply side improvements that would actually benefit the economy without, you know, without driving that recession. Yeah, I want to actually follow up on that because it, it, I was going to was thinking when we were talking about the layoffs at Catalan, there's also been a recent announcement of. Uh, I think uh, uh, a new uh, microchip manufacturing facility being opened at Westgate down in the the Uplands region, um, and uh, at, which actually was news that I think uh, people picked up in the IBJ, but unfortunately not locally. I don't think. Uh, but it, but they're anticipating 500 manufacturing jobs being added, and then then the question comes: wh where where are those folks going to come from, and where are they going to live when they? get here. Carol, you may uh, be able to speak a little bit more to that uh, that forecast. Well, yeah, and I think it's, it's a really good point, and it's a great follow-on to, to what you were saying, Kyle, too. Uh, housing is still a challenge in the Bloomington region. It's certainly a huge challenge in Martin County. Uh, People are going to live either in Lawrence County, maybe they'll go as, as far east as Bartholomew, but, but really Monroe County, Owen, uh, Green are the more likely targets. I was heartened that over the past year, uh, Monroe County building permits uh, had almost double, uh, over 2,000 building permits had been filed. Now, keep in mind, doesn't mean the ground has been uh, dug for the foundation yet. It's a permit mm -hmm. to build housing. Uh, but uh, many of those were single family, but the majority were multifamily, you know, where it's apartment buildings, essentially. And we've all seen those popping up uh, certainly everywhere in Bloomington. But now we're beginning to see that outside of the city limits and we're seeing uh, more housing thanks in part to Cook and their mm -hmm. whole strategy of uh, investing to build homes for their workers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's one part of the equation. Where are potential new workers, you know, people are going to be moving from somewhere else uh, to come to the region? And where are those workers going to come from? In part, it's going to depend on uh, the nature of the jobs and whether or not we already have an existing supply of, of people with those skills. But I think that Ivy Tech and IU uh, in Bloomington uh, are gonna be able to offer a lot of support to that new company. And I know that, that the Economic Development Corporation has been working with all of the local schools and colleges uh, to help support that new investment. Yeah, and great. If I could add to Carol's point, just quickly about Indiana, a, a good, a good, a good piece of, of data. Um, th there's a quiet resiliency to the Indiana economy that expresses itself every now and then. And Kyle mentioned that you know part of the issue is production capacity because we don't have enough workers. The good news is, again, Indiana still would love more talent. But actually, when you compare us to the rest of the nation. Our labor force has has recovered much better post-COVID than the rest of the country. We know that Hoosiers love to work. We're, you know, as they say, quote, we're a state that works. And we are definitely seeing that across the regions from 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 north to south, east to west. Um, so uh, we're, 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 again, punching above our weight, at least on that on that metric. We can use more talent, 
but the, but the mm-hmm. story's a little bit better than the rest of the country here in, in, in the state of Indiana. Well, and Phil, if I could just tap into that a little bit, I think the one of the big, big, big challenges we have besides housing uh, is child care, uh, access and affordability. A lot of women have had to step out of the workforce uh, during and, and after the pandemic uh, because of kids uh, at home, uh, doing school or the lack of, of daycare facilities. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, that we've been working on is is really taking a hard look at the availability of quality cha- uh, childcare throughout the state and working with the Early Learning Indiana group. Uh, we, in fact, we recently released with them a, a report on the childcare labor force. Uh, to help people understand that this there's a crying need for that. Yeah, and it has a real effect on on all these all these uh, um, issues that we've been bringing up. Yeah, I, I wanted to follow up on that quickly and just say, I guess I'm just asking for opinions. It seems like sometimes public policy doesn't follow the economic trends that we're seeing and these issues that you bring up, like affordable childcare, affordable housing. Um, how do we? How do we merge those to public policy and some of these needs that are identified in in the economy? Andrew, you're kind of smiling, so I'm gonna. <laughs> well, no, as I was just, you know, I think some, although maybe not so much, the issues uh, related to childcare, but perhaps you know, so Kyle brought up, you know, immigration. I think unfortunately um, there are some issues that you know economists we'd like to think we have. A pretty kind of sound uh, beat on how things might be able to be improved, and, and you know, just politically, they become kind of untenable. And, and again, not to you know, cast blame on on one or the other, but just you know, on both sides of the equation, um, you know, it's just a non-starter. And so, you know, I think immigration uh, is, is kind of one form of that. But you know, there is probably very much a need uh, right now for you know, economists and and you know, public policymakers to to be a little bit more in sync when it comes to what might be some things that uh, you know. Because we have both, we have a demand and supply imbalance right now. There's no doubt about that. And so we, and to to ease the pain of what's going to need to happen, it'd be really great if we could have both these supply side challenges um, be improved as well as as well as some some slowdown in demand. And so yeah, I think yeah. Do you guys yeah. want Andrew to speak for you, or do you all have uh, <laughs> anybody have any other thoughts on that? <laughs> well, you know, I I have to say I I I love the question that you had about this. I I think that. Uh, we need to talk to our lawmakers, our city, town, county, state officials, the state legislature, uh, to really uh, hammer home to them what it is that we as their constituents want. I think that we all are so busy, but we really need to to have our legislators on uh, speed dial, if you will, or uh, make sure we follow them on Twitter and let them know what we're thinking. We have an opportunity right now to tell them how to spend that $6 billion surplus. Uh, I have been agitating for them to look at seriously uh, trying to to, uh, find a way to afford universal uh, pre-K and kindergarten. That that would make a huge statement to the world about Indiana. And their and our children, because yeah. we are a family-friendly state. And to put an exclamation mark on Carol's point, there's really you know we have a budget session coming up. This is going to be a very important uh, session in the General Assembly. I know you know President Whitten and her cabinet are very much invested in aligning our mission with what the state needs. But there's four from a, from an economist perspective. There's four things that the state can invest in right now to help with. Uh, forwarding our long-term economic development in the state. And the good news is the whole administration has already started to invest in a lot of these. But to Carol's point, education, especially education that aligns with labor market with labor market needs and talent needs, um, infrastructure, placemaking, and public health. We rank among the lowest of states in percentage of economic of our of our GDP allocated to public health. So I think if we if, if we can come out of this budget session with some really good stories on what the state is doing in those four areas. It's going to help us leap ahead in terms of, of a prosperous Indiana. Could you say more about placemaking? Just sure. Pl- uh, placemaking is basically, you know, really quick. In the old days, twenty years ago, 
your economic development strategy was to go out and recruit the companies and then folks would move in. But now it's the opposite. You want to attract the talent to live in your in your community and then the companies will come. And so we have to compete for the very scarce skilled talent that is graduating from our universities or that are getting, you know, skills beyond high school. And so we've got to cater to whether it's parks or quality of life or there's all sorts of, of what economists would call public goods that you want to put in your in your community to attract that talent. And so that's the placemaking is sort of a catch-all phrase for the types of investments that a local or state government can make to make that region competitive and attracting talent. Because a lot of our graduates, especially from Indiana University, if you talk to them, they pick where they want to live and then they pick their job. And that wasn't true when I was graduating college and I'm, I'm from the X generation. Um, <laughs> And that's an important thing to recognize, not only in terms of public policy, but also from a business strategy perspective. Yeah. I want to come back a little bit to the, um, I guess it's the supply question, and it maybe as it affects um, uh, inflation, other other things that have factored in, which is, and one really large one out there in the global, global environment is the war in Ukraine. Are you seeing continuing to see effects i mean obviously that's had an effect on gas prices it's had an effect on grain uh um it, it even i believe is the reason that france is running short of dijon mustard because most of the mustard se- dijon mustard seeds in the world are grown in U- ukraine i mean so anyway that's not our particular problem <laughs> but uh, can i just get i mean any of you i think to speak to just where you see that well that that particular issue but global issues in general affecting both both supply and demand and our ability to get out in front of the, the inflationary cycle? I think that's a, that's a fantastic question because it, it's one of those unpredictabilities that, that really makes it difficult, but we really are in a global economy. So if, you know, France can't get mustard seed and we know that this winter is going to be very challenging for Europe in getting the, the, gas and energy that they need. And I think that a lot of the European markets are going to be headed for, much more likely to be headed for recession sooner than the US, but they're a big trading partner. So those ripple effects are gonna go through. And going back to, I think Carol's point earlier, you know, Indiana, we, we export a lot of goods out of Indiana to other countries. What we're seeing right now is a relatively strong dollar, making those exports a little more expensive. And so all of these things are, are definitely related in this global economy. And, you know, the, how the war in Ukraine is going to play out is, is very difficult to model with any of our kind of our traditional economic models. The, you know, the Federal Reserve can't can't make any more cereal. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, there's going to be some some challenges that are going to be ones that we're just going to be subjected to and, and again hopefully hopefully that could be one of the things that we see on the on the positive side of things uh, soon we're having a robust conversation about the economy and about what you can expect going forward if you have questions give us a call 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348 or send us your question to news at indianapublicmedia.org Lori. I wanted uh, just as we as we get into the, kind of the last um, section of this uh, chat, uh, turn to just another whole, I guess, an economic story out there, which is what's happened with crypto. I'm uh, just really, really curious to know uh, what you think. Andrew's already <laughs> laughing a, a bit, sort of. Uh, obviously, we've seen the collapse of the uh, it was FTX, um, that particular company, but uh, some questions about whether it's going to affect crypto in general. Um, and Kyle, I don't know if that's a, a question we should start with you on. I, I, I'd be happy to weigh in. I, I feel like I've been kind of a, a crypto skeptic from the beginning, but I do think that some of these, um, it certainly a, a collapse like FTX will have other people asking whether their crypto investments are secure, whether it's a, a good investment. And I think there's a good chance that we see significant downside in a lot of these assets and and it's it's really hard to value them because they're largely speculative assets you're you're buying crypto essentially hoping that someone else is going to want to buy it for more later i I think that's where we are in the cycle with that particular quote-unquote currency so 
I, I do think that, you know, there's a lot of potential downside. And, and the thing I'm most concerned about is could that have ripple effects into the quote unquote real economy if we start seeing some folks losing significant amount of money on on their crypto investments? Anybody yeah. else want to weigh in? Andrew, you want to weigh in on that? Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I basically, I, I just echo echo Kyle's comments there, I think, uh, on, on all fronts on that one. All yeah. right. Phil, I want to ask. Just, oh, go ahead. Just real quick, just to underscore, you know, from an economist perspective, Kyle used the term speculative assets. Another way to bring that home for the listeners is basically you can think of cryptocurrency as the beanie babies of the 2020s. <laughs> Okay, and some people are still well, hanging you know, on <laughs> to their beanie babies and original wrappings, hoping that somebody is gonna, <laughs> the value is going to go up. So I suppose that's a perfect analogy. Yeah, Carol. Well, I was just going to say I think this is crypto. Uh, the news about the uh, fintech uh, and the small business administration that came out yesterday. There was a study about that. Technology is. I think we would all agree a double-edged sword. Uh, it it can be really powerful. It can change lives, uh, but it can also uh, sometimes collapse in a minute. I I don't know if you want to broach the the fintech and the fact that they were able some of these companies, financial technology companies, were able to generate approved loans in thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was pretty amazing, but then. Uh, the study that was done showed that uh, there was a, a 10% of them were fraudulent. You know, so there wasn't the regulation. So, you know, Kyle, Phil, Andrew, how do we think about technology being needing to be more regulated mm-hmm. or against? I, I think Nobody it depends. Wants- I mean, I, I've always kind of viewed crypto as a... Uh, a technology that doesn't really solve a much of a problem or one that exists. And that's why it's been so speculative because there, there aren't a lot of demonstrated. I, I think some, some have argued that blockchain can be helpful in, in verifying certain transactions, but, but separate well, it from was that, kind of like, just the, you know, mining Bitcoin was like having a, a, a printer in your garage, right? You know, where you could print money so you would mine Bitcoin. Absolutely. And it's had huge negative consequences because that mining takes a lot of energy and electricity. And so we're having negative impacts of this kind of speculative craze, if you will. Um, So I, I think that kind of whether to regulate that or to what extent to regulate it, I think you have to just way okay people are doing this if, if they're informed investors making you know their decisions it, it it's probably not the best to do that but if it has real risks to the broader economy then it, it might be worth stepping in and and trying to damper it down a little bit yeah absolutely yeah, and I, I guess my only added thought on there is just to you know be careful i think lots of times when um Technological breakthroughs are are sort of being championed, uh, you know, to be discerning and not um, misinterpreting actual technological advancements from fraud. I mean, so like you know, an example of this that we don't have to go too far back on was, you know, I think some people were, you know, at this point now very much incorrectly believing that we had sort of solved the securitization problem when it came to you know subprime mortgages and what have you. And and again, we know where where all that. Um, took us and and again a lot of what was underlying kind of this you know financial technological wizardry was actually just you know boiled them out, boiled down to you know simple fraud so I think that's the other sort of wrinkle to some of this as well yeah, yeah. Yeah, we saw some of that. I mean, it's a bit, bit in a, a slightly different uh, line, but the Theranos problems with uh, again was a you know a technological solution to a problem everybody wanted to see solved, and of course it was it was fraudulent from the very beginning. Um, we have a question that's come in, um, and it asks uh, um, about. When the economy is struggling, isn't it the people at the bottom who are the most vulnerable and who are impacted the most? Is this true? And and if so, how how can we help, Andrew? Well, I think certainly right now inflation, uh, and again, that's that's a 
factor right now that's in the economy that is absolutely hurting everybody, and in particular hurting those that have, you know, less disposable income. If if I'm you know literally making the decision between you know how do I um, get gas in my car and and then put you know food on the table, that's obviously you know in, and, and that the you know 10% increase in costs associated with with doing either um, is certainly going to disproportionately impact those that are you know less fortunate or, or have have less income. So you know that's certainly the case. There, there's the other aspect to this, which again we haven't seen this in 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 systematic like all the way through the economy yet but you know there's also going to be you know potentially people as the economy slows down that are going to lose jobs and so you know typically um, who some of those um, households might be are going to be potentially the ones that are you know maybe less educated um, etc and so yes there's absolutely going to be um, those effects permeating you know hopefully you know the hope is that through you know social programs and, and other safety nets that are built into the economy already but then also ones that um, can maybe perhaps be buttressed um, you know that, that that support for those particularly impacted are are, are provided okay um, another question and this one Phil I think uh, I'm gonna ask you first because I know you've done a lot of work in uh, studying higher education um, how you know how is all the turmoil in the economy affecting higher education that's Part one, I'm just a very simple, I guess, quick part two is the public policy about the Joe Biden, his idea of uh, forgiving student loans. Is that good news for the economy also? Sure. And I'll, I'll be brief. Um, you know, higher ed, as all of us know, in Bloomington is is really in a, at a crossroads. There's a lot of independent of the, of the current economic situation, there's a lot of new long-term skepticism about the value of a bachelor's degree. These are perceptions. It doesn't match up with the data. So I think that, um, you know, the labor market's been really good. When there's scarce labor and, uh, you know, graduates or anybody just coming out of high school or, or just getting a certification sub-baccalaureate have a lot of job offers, it reduces the incentive to pursue graduate education. This even uh, increases the percentage not to pursue a bachelor's degree. So when you when you include the incentive effect with the skepticism, and, it's, and now we're starting to see, you know, and now what's manifested is we're seeing a lot of Fortune 500 companies weaken their requirements for college education, and they're going more toward a competency-based approach. And we're seeing a, a lot of disruptive uh, uh, solutions in the marketplace that are, are sort of making universities look very old and tired. So this is something we've got to take uh, a serious. Um, attention to, and, I, and, and President Witten is doing that at Indiana University, and I know we're seeing that at Purdue also, um, but, you know, the, 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 and, 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 and on top of that is, is a shrinkage in the number of high school graduates each year. So, but back to the college loan issue, you know, I think that it refers to the last question. Um, mm -hmm. are, at the lower end of the income chain, folks are, are graduating with just too much debt and it holds them back. So I think economically you know economic development is economic growth that reduces inequality uh, I'm a as one economist I'm a big fan of, of seeing some some of that um, uh, retirement or forgiveness uh, coming from the White House and I hope it I hope it personally hope it, it passes through the the uh, the, the courts yeah. okay and isn't it that loan forgiveness is spread out over a number of years it's not it's not like suddenly money is going into people's pockets that then they're going to spend and that's going to you know boost prices again because demand goes up right i mean that's the absolute hope right <laughs> we only have about four minutes to go we've covered a lot of ground today but i know that you've been around the state with nine different presentations so what have we missed i want to ask each one of you is there something else you want to to mention to us about uh, what people should be looking for andrew we'll start with you yeah, no, I would just, um, it's actually an element that has been sort of sprinkled in throughout, but I think is an important uh, note to make, which is just that, you know, right now in Indiana is no exception. In fact, Indiana might be kind of even hitting above its weight on this part. Um, it's a really, really strong labor market right now. So, you know, basically, you know, rough estimates right now, there's basically kind of still about two job openings for every sort of, at this point, person who's looking for a job that doesn't doesn't have one right now. And, and the unemployment rate in Indiana is very, very low. And so, you know, while there's certainly some, you know, cause to be concerned about maybe what might the outlook look like, um, you know, going forward over the next quarter, couple of months, like, and, and quarters, you know, right now it's just a very, very strong labor market. And, and that has obviously, um, 
you know, should also be hopefully helping households and, and consumers and the like. Okay, Kyle? Yeah, I was going to echo that a little bit. So thanks, Andrew, for, for stealing my thunder there. But what I was saying is that I think the when I go out and talk to people about the economy, it, we hear about inflation. We hear these negative. I, I think that a lot of the news media is very negative on it. But we're at 3% unemployment and less than that in Indiana. We've got rising wages, which are struggling to keep up with inflation. But, but you know, right now... Uh, virtually anyone who wants a job can get one. And that's a, a sign of a relatively healthy economy. And and so there, there's a lot to like about where we are right now, along with the, uh, some concern about where we're heading and, and how long that might last. So so I, I just hope that, that we're not having too negative of a lens with the economy based on kind of inflation, the stock market, which are only two elements of it. Okay, Carol? Well, I want to thank Kyle for for setting me up uh, for for what I can talk about because it, it, it's a, a perfect statement that we really are in a good place in Indiana, but there is isn't there always a big but in there, and the big but for Indiana and for all of our communities, frankly, is that we need to become more attractive. We, and what I mean by that is that we need to attract more people into the state. Our birth rate is going down. Our in-migration is okay, but it's not enough to replace uh, all of the people that are, frankly, dying. And and we saw an acceleration of deaths because of the pandemic. So we're, we've lost people. We're not replacing them. We need to show the world that this is a great place to live, to do business, uh, to have fun, to have adventures, and uh, have a good life. So right. how do we get that message out, and how do we make it true? All right. Phil, they've taken all your time. You have like five seconds. You know, the good news is, is that if we have a recession, it's not because the financial markets are bad. Banks are well capitalized, and that's what caused the pain in 2008 and in 1981. All right. So, Go It'll ahead. be better. It'll yeah. be a lot better. Okay, good. Thank you so much. We've had a great conversation today with Phil Powell, Kyle, Dr. Kyle Anderson, uh, Andrew Butters, Carol Rogers, all from the IU Kelly School of Business, the Indiana Business Research Center. I want to thank co-host Lori McRobbie, our engineer Mike Pashkash, and um, Nathan Moore, our producer. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org and from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com.